around our household this past week. Our Linda and I have been busy cleaning and been busy decorating. We're going to have some guests in our home uh, later this week. And so we've been busy doing that. Maybe you've been asked or will be asked in the next week or two, are you ready for Christmas? Now, most of the time when we say, are you ready for Christmas? What we generally mean at the beginning of the month of December is, you know, have you cleaned the house? Have you decorated? Have you been gift buying? Uh, have you made arrangements for parties for family and friends? That's usually what we think. Are you ready for Christmas? And rightfully so, we want to get ready for this celebration, uh, a physical celebration, cultural celebration that we share in uh, as, as the people of God. But there's also some spiritual preparations, just like the Advent candles and having the church decorated, the wonderful music, the musical that we'll have, and uh, nativity by the children next, uh, next Sunday night. All of this is a part of getting ready as well. So when we ask, are you ready for Christmas? then we're talking about these kind of preparations as well and the spiritual preparation uh, in, our, in our hearts. But for me, when I'm asked, are you ready for Christmas, there's another aspect that Arlinda and I have been doing uh, all of our married life and even in the homes that we were raised in by our parents. So for decades, when asked the question, are you ready for Christmas, that for us means, have you given your Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions? Because for us, that is very much a part of what we do as we get ready to celebrate Christmas. And the reason we do that is because this is our Christmas gift to Jesus. We, we feel that's what we are doing when we share in giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You see the title of the message uh, this morning that speaks about that, that we give so that others can celebrate Christmas too. And for us, that's the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And it's based on this. Jesus called us to be his disciples. And in calling him, us to be his disciples, he said, follow me. We're to follow his example. We follow his agenda, his agenda everything that he taught. And one aspect of that, the major re uh, act on what our Lord did was he wanted us to share the gospel. He wanted us to go and to share Jesus. And for us, that means that we are not only doing it ourselves, but we're going to help others in places that we cannot go. So this morning we're going to be reviewing educationally. I'm going to share some information with you and then I pray inspirationally that there'll be some information you hear, something that will be said that will touch your heart and your life, that you might want to give to this offering and understand what it's for. Now why do we do this? Why do Baptists do this? Why does Elkdale Baptist promote the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? I mean, what, why do we do what we do? Well, let's point out first of all Baptist distinctives. Part of who we are as Baptists is the reason that we do this. There are some distinctives. A few years ago, I, I was visiting in a prospect's home. A family had attended our church, and, and I was in their home, and they were not Baptists. Uh, they had come from another denomination. They had visited other churches, but they had come to ours. They had been invited to ours by some friends. And the question was this, what are distinctives of a Baptist church? And I gave them three basic distinctives. And knowing that I couldn't spend hours and days talking about what Baptist was all about, but I did give them three specific distinctives. First of all, baptism. Baptism, that's why we're called Baptists, and I'll share that with you in a moment. But baptism is a distinctive for us because we believe that there has been some bad theology and bad practice through the centuries, and so we uh, organize around ourselves with the title Baptist, and we want baptism to be right. 
We believe baptism is a sign of obedience to our Lord. It is not essential for our salvation. Jesus said, I want you to be baptized as a follower of mine. And it symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the outward demonstration that you are a child of God. It's how you are identified as a child of God that you have followed in obedience to Christ. You've been baptized. And it's also the entry point into the local church. It's how we entered the membership to be identified with a local, for us, a Baptist church. So baptism. A second distinctive is the polity. It's how we organize ourselves, Baptist polity, how, how we govern ourselves. We, we find that we believe in being autonomous. That means we have the right to our own authority. We, we are the ones that make decisions in the congregation. We're congregational in polity, which means we make the decision. The final authority rests here. No one tells us what to do outside of the body of Elkdale Baptist Church. There, there is, there's no high power, power or, or uh, denomination or whatever. No one tells, has ever told me what to preach. And no one has ever come into the churches I've been a part of and told us how we're supposed to spend our money and how the, the ministries that we're supposed to have. Those decisions are made by the local body, by the church itself. Now, we have checks and balances. We have church staff. We have deacons. We have committees. We have teams. And they make recommendations to the church. The church votes on the major issues, not the minor, but the major issues uh, that, that face the church. And then they go on about serving the Lord. A part of that polity also means that we are in friendly cooperation. We're in friendly cooperation with other people. Uh, for Elkdale, you're a member of the West Alabama Baptist Association. With a number of other sister churches, you uh, are part of this organization that we call an association. And so you are in friendly cooperation with them, with Alabama Baptists as well, and then our beloved uh, Southern Baptist Convention family. And so we find ourselves in this polity of in friendly cooperation, but decisions always rest here in the local church. And then there's a third distinctive, and that has to do with missions. We are unapologetic, unashamedly evangelical. Now, in recent years, being called evangelical uh, has had, a, had a, a, a serious problem because we've been identified with, with politics and with a certain political party, and that is very unfortunate. We, we need to understand that we cannot let outside bodies control what we do as evangelicals. Basically, evangelical means we are aggressive in sharing the message of Jesus Christ. That's what an evangelical is. We believe in Matthew 20, 19 and 20. We, where we are to go into our world as we are going, and we are to disciple people, then we are to baptize them, and then we are to teach them doctrine and the word of God. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be out there and sharing the message of Jesus Christ. It is the, it is the mission uh, uh, command, commission, that Jesus Christ has given to us. And so as we are going into our world, we begin to share the message of Christ. We join with other people in missionary causes to do that very thing. Elkdale was formed with a mission in mind that there needed to be more than just one, two, or three evangelical churches in the Selma community. So this church was formed out of that desire to reach people and then minister in the name of Christ. 
uh, you're 69 years old as of last week. The church I pastored for many years in Prattville, is, it, uh, it is 183 years old. And it was formed because there was a group of people that were part of a church up the old Highway 82, and they became anti-mission in, uh, in, in their experience in that church. They were anti-mission. So there was a group so we can't we can't stay here any longer. And they came back a couple of miles back into, into the Prattville community, and they met this December, was 183 years ago, and they formed what became at that time known as the Unity Baptist Church, later the Prattville Baptist, and then the First Baptist Church of Prattville. And it was all because of missions and going against an anti-missionary movement that was prevailing through the South about that time, back in uh, 1838. And so churches have a, have a mission uh, enterprise. They, they're supposed to be uh, a congregational in polity, and we also doctrinally, we believe in baptism. So those are Baptist distinctives. But now let's look for a moment at Baptist history, because we need to know where our roots are. Now, some of you are going to like this. Some of you are going to, don't go to sleep on me, but you, you, you're going to wonder why I'm doing all this. Well, I was a history major in college, all right? And one of my favorite professors that Arlinda and I both had while we were at junior college um, was, a, was a man who, when he gave us tests, he said, give me 50 dates and the significance of all those dates. And so <clears throat> I kind of learned history built around dates. So I want to give you just a few dates that help you to understand the roots of who we are as Baptists. Back in the 16th century, there was a group of people in Armenia, what we call Turkey today, and they came to understand the biblical definition of what baptism was all about. And they started practicing true believer's baptism. And that would be by immersion after salvation experience. That group of people in Armenia would move to Germany and they would flourish. And eventually they would move to Holland. And in 1609 in Holland, there was a man by the name of John Smith who established the first known Baptist church was in Holland. But they came under persecution and some of the church fled to England in 1612 and a man by the name of Thomas Hillis was the pastor of again what we believe was the first Baptist church that was created in England. But they also had some persecution and as people started flocking after the pilgrims started flocking to our land Baptist beliefs also came along with them as well. And so in the 1700s, when the colonies were developing and there was Rhode Island, there was a man by the name of Roger Williams. Roger Williams uh, was the pastor of the first Baptist church that we know of in the colonies in Providence, Rhode Island. And then Baptist beliefs began to expand as our nation expanded and spread out through this continent. It began to expand as well. Well, churches began to organize around associations, and we find that in 1793, back in, way back in England, there was a man by the name of William Carey, a Baptist, and he wanted to go to India, and he wanted to be a missionary, and he was in an associational meeting. And in that meeting, uh, as he was sharing his call to missions, one man got up and said, young man, sit down. When God gets ready to save the people over in India, he'll get them saved. Well, William Carey was not undone. He was not a preacher by trade. He was a cobbler of shoes. 
But he said, if, if, if you will hold the ropes, I will go down into the well. And that was his metaphor of going down and sharing the gospel message. That began the first modern-day missionary movement. Fifteen years later, in 1808, and Williams uh, College up in Massachusetts, there was a group of Christian young men, college students, who were feeling a call in ministry. And one day they were out in the field and they were praying. began to rain and they gathered under a haystack. And it became known as the Haystack Prayer Meeting. And out of that, two young men who became very popular amongst Baptists eventually was Adoniram Judson and Luther Rice. By the way, Adoniram would go on to marry Ann Judson, Judson College, just south of us here or north of us, was named after his wife, Ann Judson. And these two young men felt led to go to India and to Burma, what we call Miramar today, but India and Burma. And so they received some money, they gathered some support, they got, each of them got on individual ships with their family. And on the way to India, as they were studying the Bible, Etaniron Jetson and Luther Rice both became convicted about baptism and they had been sprinkled as children but they became convinced that baptism was the way to go and they became baptists on the ships and when they landed in india they were baptized by immersion and began their missionary work but six years later they came back to the states to again garner some support for missionary effort and in 1814 there was a an organization that was started called the Triennial Convention. They would meet every three years. It was Baptists that gathered together to help support missionary causes. Listen to what Luther Rice said at that meeting as his friend Adoniram Jetson was preaching. As an independent free churches, let's organize around one cause. A missionary couple, Adoniram and Ann Jetson, need support. Can't we cooperate together for causes of missions? And they continued this missionary movement back in the early 1800s. And it would be a few years later, in fact, about 31 years later, 1845, that again about, about 239 delegates representing all kinds of Baptists in the South gathered at the First Baptist Church of Augusta, Georgia. And that was the birth of the Southern Baptist Convention. And while the men were meeting upstairs developing convention, the ladies were downstairs and organizing what became known as the WMU. But they organized our Southern Baptist Convention. They believed the triennial convention had no longer was serving purpose, and so they organized around missions. And ever since that time, all these many years later, we've been a part of what we call the Southern Baptist Convention, whose main effort has always been a missionary enterprise. Now, the early Southern Baptist Convention had problem getting support. So one last date before we move on, and this is 1925. Baptists had difficulties uh, with, the, with the national denomination giving support because what would happen would be, on a day like today, we might have a guest that might be from the International Mission Board, what they knew back then called the Foreign Mission Board or the old home mission board, now called North American Mission Board, or somebody from the Sunday School Board. And the pastor would let the guests come up here, and he would talk about the ministry of Southern Baptists, and then there would be an offering that would be taken. 
The problem would, was this. As all these people would go out to different churches, churches were feeling the pressure of people wanting to come and get money and take money away. And if it was a great speaker, he got a great offering. If it was a poor speaker, he got a poor offering. If it was sunshining outside and people were there, offering was bigger. If it was rainy or snowy, the offering was poor because the people weren't there. And so it was a very bad way at the time, but it was the best way they knew. So in 1923, they organized an effort to set a goal to give all the churches, give $1 million to the Southern Baptist Convention, collect money. Well, they fell short. They gave $800,000. But out of it birthed in 1925 what you and I know as the cooperative program. And where we give through the cooperative program, we don't give to it, we give through it for missionary causes that helps here in the state of Alabama, but then helps our larger SBC family across our country and around the world. That's a, just a short history of Baptists. But let's look at something else. Let's look at Baptist missionary, a Baptist missionary named Lottie Moon, because that's our emphasis. And I want you to know something about Lottie Moon. Some of you have heard the story. You know a little bit about Lottie. Some of you may be new to the church and you're wondering about Lottie Moon. Why do we give every year to Lottie Moon? Like one little boy said one time, why don't we just pay Lottie Moon off for, get it over with so we don't have to keep collecting money every year, all right? Let's pay that debt and get it done, all right? And, uh, and that was just a little boy's way of thinking. But you may be thinking the same thing. Why, why do we do this every year? What is this, who is this woman, Lottie Moon? Well, she was an extraordinary woman. She was an amazing, faithful servant of God. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, Paul begins to list all the people that he is thankful for in his ministry. And he lists two women. He lists Phoebe and Priscilla. I'm convinced that if Lottie Moon was alive when Paul was writing, her name would be listed in it. She was that kind of woman. Lottie Moon was born in 1840 in Abermarley uh, County, Virginia, right in the heart of Virginia. And she um, would go to school. Her parents would send her to Charlottesville, which was the county seat at that particular time. So she went there to school. The pastor of Charlottesville Baptist Church was the, a man by the name of John A. Broadus. He was a wonderful pastor. He was a, a professor. He became the first president of Southern, of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. But he was her pastor while she was going to school. In 1859, he led her to the Lord. Uh, a few years later, by 1873, after graduating from college, she found herself teaching at a girls' school in Cartersville, uh, Georgia. And she and a, another young lady, Miss uh, Sanford, uh, or Stafford, they became very good friends. Well, in February of, of 1873, their pastor at that time at Cartersville preached in an associational meeting. He preached a powerful, passionate message about missions. And he challenged the pastors, go back to your churches and preach this message. And he came back to his own church and preached that message where Lottie Moon and Miss Safford were members. And to everyone's surprise, at the end of the service, when the invitation was given, Lottie Moon and Miss Safford came forward volunteering to be missionaries in China. 
by Christmas of 1873, Lottie Moon found herself in China. And there she would minister in Shandong, which is a part of the uh, Tin Chao Providence. And she would minister in the very center of Southern Baptist educational work at that particular time. But she had a problem, like a lot of the missionaries did, how to build trust with people. How do you build trust? And so she would make cookies. Well, they thought the cookies were poison, so nobody would eat her cookies. But over a period of time, she was able to build trust amongst the people. She would eventually go down to Ping Tu, about 115 miles away, and she would be a part of one of the greatest revivals that swept northern China. She was a part of seeing that started. Thousands upon thousands of Chinese came to know Jesus Christ because of what Lottie Moon did and fellow missionaries were doing in Ping Tu. Also during that time, there was a civil war going on as China was fighting to be a republic at that particular time. And so Tin Tao was right on the, the battle line of this civil war that was going on. And it was reported that one night, because of the fighting that was going on, a cannonball came through one side of her, her little house and out the other side. She had these two gaping holes. But she was, she was not frustrated by all of that, and she went right back to sleep. I wonder how many of us would go back to sleep in something like that. But that was Lottie Moon. Something that most people didn't know was that she fell in love while she was in college. She fell in love with a, a, a man by, by the name of Clarence Toy. And they had actually planned to get married. And she was going to go on to China, and then she would come back for the wedding. He went on to Germany, and he studied, because he uh, uh, was already a, a, a theological major, he went on to Germany. But while he was in Germany, he studied what was known at that time, still known, as higher criticism. When he came back to the States, he was asked to teach at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. But they found out that he no longer believed in the Old Testament as we do. He believed it was just legends, just myths, just spiritual parables. And he was dismissed of being a professor at Southern, uh, Southern Seminary. He'd go on to teach at Harvard Divinity School. Eventually he became a Unitarian and eventually he stopped going to church. Listen to what Lottie had to say about this young man that she had been engaged to. She said, over here in my missionary work, I've learned to lean upon the word of God. It's my strength and staff and stay. Nor could I ever be happy in my heart wedded to a man who did not believe God's book. She had a choice to make, either to marry this young man or to stay faithful to Jesus. And she, she stayed faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, during this same time period, now it's 1887, the Southern Baptist Convention, I mentioned, had difficulties financially. The Foreign Mission Board did as well. And hearing about all the financial difficulties supporting missionaries, Lottie Moon was in the United States on stateside leave. Listen to the letter, part of the letter she wrote. She said, Need it be said, why the week before Christmas is chosen? It's not the festive season when families and friends exchange gifts to be the most appropriate time to consecrate a portion from both the abounding riches and scant poverty to send forth to good tithings of great joy and to all the world. 
In other words, she was making an appeal. Let's give an, an offering to missions during the Christmas season when our hearts are full of joy and when we are in the giving mood. Can't we do something during the Christmas season that will motivate us to give to missions? Well, a year later in 1888, the WMU, Women's Missionary Union in Southern Baptist Life, was officially formed. Annie Armstrong became the first recording secretary, and we named another offering uh, after her that we take up in March for uh, home missions. And they decided to have an offering, and they started promoting it. And that first year, they set a goal of $2,000, and they raised $3,329. For missions, it was able to. They were able to send three missionaries to the field because of what Lottie Moon challenged the ladies of that particular day. Well, fast forward a number of years, almost almost thirty years, and again the Foreign Mission Board was still having difficulty financially. It's 1912. And because of scant resources coming to the United States, a terrible famine that was ravishing China, people were starving to death. And Lottie Moon took her salary, took her savings, and she took the food that she had, and she began to give it to the fellow Christians to keep them from starving to death. But because of it, she was starving herself to death. She became so ill in December of 1912 that the decision was made she would have to come back to the States. And a missionary nurse was going to be accompanying her. It's December 24th, 1912. They're on board a ship in, in a harbor in Kobe, Japan. We find Lottie Moon died. They would cremate her. They would take the ashes. They would bring it and they would bury her in the county that she was born in, uh, Abermurley County in Virginia. I've seen the, the head marker, and it says, faithful unto death. But the missionary nurse recorded this. Moments before she died, she started speaking words of greeting, and the typical Chinese gr grasping and ungrasping the hands in greetings and welcoming people. She started calling the names of those that she had led to Christ in Ten Chow, those who had already gone to be with the Lord, and she's now greeting as she enters into eternity. She was an amazing, amazing woman, Lighty Moon, and that's why this offering is called the Lighty Moon Christmas Offering. But now let's spend these last few minutes, and let's talk about Baptist gifts at work. What does our money go to do? What, is, what does it do to help? Well, the money that we raise for helping over 3,600 um, International Mission Board missionaries help to prepare and to send and to support them. Your gift really does make a difference. Your generosity, as you saw, really does transform lives. So let me just share with you just a little bit. You have uh, the outline before you, and on that outline, you'll notice at the bottom, the 2020 report of how our Lottie Moon Christmas offering was used. 247 new people groups were engaged. 769,494 heard the gospel. 1,000, I mean, 144,322 people became new believers. 86,587 were baptized. 18,380 new churches started. 
127,155 pastors received training and 422 new missionaries. Now we can pat ourselves on the back and say, man, that's great. Great offering back in 2020 and look, look what the, the Lord has done. But let me remind you, there are still 7,200 unreached people groups in our world. Many of you grew up like I did, and we would see a picture of the world up uh, during Lottie Moon Christmas season, and there would be Christmas lights on it, and the light would light up every time we gave a certain amount toward our gold, and the gold was to light up all the lights on that, on that world uh, 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 picture that was up before us. But today we have divided the world into people groups, about 14,000 people groups. And we've only reached not quite half of those people groups. Do you realize 155,000 people die every day without Jesus Christ? 4.5 billion people in our world have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And what we're doing is still only a drop in the bucket in reaching our world for Jesus Christ. Let me give you some indications of what we're using this money for. It will be used to train, train believers to reach a massive group of Hindus that is in what we call South Asia. That would be India, Pakistan, that region. And as they are uh, attempting to reach that region, that, that represents 1.6 billion people. 1.6 billion people. They live in that area the half the size of the United States. And our money is going there to help reach those people. Another part of the offering will be used to provide Bibles and Scripture portions in, in print, audio, and video formats for all over the world. See, there are places that, that and unreached groups that have no Scripture at all, and those that do have Scripture don't have enough copies. And we believe that the Word transforms, and so we want to make sure the Word has gotten out. Another one of the projects is called the Sign Roots Bible Translation Template. It's the creation of the Bible translation for the deaf community and using uh, a video-based template. It's been discovered that there's over 70 million deaf people in our world that have never had the name of Jesus signed to them. And most of the time, these people are ignored. They're lost without Christ. And deaf people around the world are generally ignored by the speaking population. And yet we have a, 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 a project now that's going on to help that, that the basic lexicon for deaf people, about 80% of deaf people can understand it. We just need to get it into a video format for the deaf people to be able to see. Then there's the Gutenberg II project. It's dramatizing the scripture uh, into a modern-day movie that speaks to the Muslim heart. Remember, Gutenberg developed the printing press. That was a tremendous revolution. Well, the second revolution is this movie that's reaching Muslim people. And it's doing it in their worldview, in their culture, using real Arab actors who speak fluently the Arabic language, and thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ because of this project. In Greece, in Athens, Greece, there's church planting and refugee aid going on because people are coming into Greece from Syria, from Iran, from the Congo, from Nigeria, Morocco, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. They're coming because of persecution. They're coming because of war. They're coming because of economic uh, stresses. 
and they're coming into Greece. We have Southern Baptists that are there, missionaries that are reaching these people. In another project in North Africa and the Middle East, social media, you know the impact social media is making. And we have missionaries that are working to reach people for Christ in social media. There's a pregnancy center in North Thailand and where there's a shame-based society uh, concerning women. And there they're helping to train them about the sanctity of life, how to care for babies. Our money is going there so that we can share the gospel as we're teaching them about the sanctity of life and raising their children. Listen to this humanitarian relief. There's the trauma care. Think about all the disasters that go on, the traumas people experience in foreign countries. And we have trauma relief. We're helping them with clean water and sanitation. We're rescuing women from human trafficking and prostitution. We are also rescuing children from being child soldiers as well. We're helping children who are living in women's prisons with their mothers. We're also helping orphans who in Africa have been abandoned because they have AIDS that was transmitted from their parents. We can go on and on and on about what Southern Baptists are doing, but I hope you get a glimpse a little bit of why we do what we do and why we give. Some people ask, well, what would my money do uh, if I gave a certain amount? Let me give you some example. If you gave $10, that, that would provide one month's missionary language training. If you just gave $100, that provides supplies for missionaries to serve in a refugee camp for a week. If you gave another $100, that would provide clean drinking water for a village for one year. If you gave $300, that would provide a one-year license renewal for missionary doctors. If you gave $2,500, that provides one year of homeschooling curriculum for missionary kids. So as you think about giving, think of the faces, as you saw the video this morning, people from all over the world, people just like you and just like me, who need the gospel, people that we want to celebrate Christmas just like we do. And there are people just like you and me who are going and sharing the gospel message. You notice the bottom of your outline, there are three blanks. Pray, give, and go. I hope you will take the prayer guide that you find on the tables and that you will pray for these missionary, uh, that you'll be, missionaries you'll be reading about. I pray that you will give. I pray that you will make this the biggest Lottie Moon Christmas offering you've ever given. I pray that you will also go. It may not be to a foreign field, but what about family who do not know Christ, friends who don't know Christ, a neighbor across the street? Wherever you are, God is sending us as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I, I know that this is a, an unusual message for us in hearing, in hearing what you want to do in the lives of Southern Baptists. But I thank you, Father, for a woman like Lottie Moon. Father, as the heads are bowed, I'm going to read a scripture from 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no man, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. 
so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I became all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Father, that passage about the Apostle Paul, he became weak for those that were weak. He became all things to all people to win the few. And they did it. he did it for the sake of the gospel. Father, that is such a description of Lottie Moon. Help us to become more and more like that. That we're willing to do whatever it takes. And whether it's pray, whether it's to give, whether it's to go. That we might win people to Christ for the sake of the gospel. And then, Father, in Revelation uh, 7, we, we are reminded that John, as he's looking in the vision that you gave to him, he said there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And Father, that's, that's why you want us to go into all the world. Because you want people of every nation, every tribe, every language group to worship you around the throne one day. So we pray, Father, we will be faithful in doing that in our efforts, whether it's here in our own land or whether it's in a foreign country. May we be faithful. Father, we want, to, we want to give so that others can celebrate Christmas just like us, worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who took on human flesh to go to a cross and die for our sin. May we be faithful in this effort. May we know who we are as Baptists. May we know our distinctives. May we know our history. May we know about the woman who this offering is named after. And may we be interested in the work and the ministry as we give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.